0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today, we have a crazy story of revenge making an ex husband serve jail time. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, I ratted out the mob boss. Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to live in a neighborhood dominated by silent mobsters? Probably not but I'll tell you this, never judge a book by its cover. I lived in a little town not too far from the city, a 35 minute drive max, with my twin sister and younger brother in our family house after our parents got divorced. We didn't always live there but moved when our dad told us he was moving out of our old apartment in a different city to live with his new mistress. We always had plans to move back to city life eventually, but we stayed in the town because the cost of living there was probably half of what it was in the city. The town was very clan-dominated, so many of the families living there had lived there for generations, and many of them were related to each other, which meant if you were one of the lucky few who were able to settle there without having a family background, it would be easy to fish you out if need be. However, a lot of the people who moved in usually lived close together. It was almost like they had clans of their own so they didn't have to deal with the other clans in the town, and I totally understood that decision. I always heard rumors about some of the families from my town being in some form of mob, you know, like the mafia. It was hard to confirm because there were almost zero crime in the town, so you could never really know what relationship they had with criminal activities, but we did know of mob gangs that basically ruled the underworld of the city. If you didn't live in the city, there was no way to identify which gang did what, but it was also rumored that they worked together, and even though we would hear of the occasional squabbles, they chose to keep the details of such news low-key in the town, probably to protect their image. Ever since moving to the town, I was curious about mob relations because it truly fascinated me how that quiet town could be home to some of the most dangerous people in the city. I remember approaching my dad about it one time and he told me that while the gangs were family run, being a gang member didn't have to run in the family, so you could always decide to opt out and live a quiet life. He also told me that one didn't have to be related to any of the families to join a gang, but added that being blood related would mean more protection if things go sour. As fascinated as I was with the fact that a large crime syndicate might have been run from our little town, I never had any plans to join any of the gangs, especially as my dad told us his history being a mobster. He told us stories about how his father had to lose a leg due to gunshot wounds and how his involvement with the mob led to his divorce with my mom. Now, when my dad said one could decide to opt out, he actually meant that they could decide not to opt in. Because once they opted in, they had to swear an oath, and the only true way out was by death. They could evade meetings or move to a different city or country, but once they're spotted by a fellow gang member, they would be summoned to the town, whether they maintained an interest or not. According to my dad, he had opted in as a teenager because he was closest to his father when he was still very much a mobster. But his brother declined the request and moved to a different country once he turned 18. And this turned out to be the best decision because when my dad decided he wanted to start having kids, he informed his superiors in the gang that he would love to drop the gangster life for a stable family. But they kept reminding him of his oaths so he had to move to the city where we were born. For a few years, he was able to evade them, but they finally located where we stayed and began to press on him fulfilling his duties and showing up to meetings. He always declined their requests, but as the years went by, it began to cause some friction between him and my mom, but she basically hung on because of her kids and waited till we were all old enough so she could leave. As for his mistress, he'd begun to meet with her before the divorce. I honestly felt the marriage ended at least 6 or 7 years before it actually ended, and hearing him tell us all these stories made me begin to dread the gangster life. After a couple of years living in the town, I was able to find my feet financially enough to move to the city. I moved with my siblings in search of a better future. I enjoyed the cheaper price of stuff in the town, but i was young and needed to feel the hustle and bustle of the city again because i was beginning to feel like a retiree after all those months away after we moved out my father decided to return to the town with his mistress to live out his days in peace or so he thought we asked him if he'd forgotten about his mob past and if he was going to be at peace living around those families and he told us that most of the people who came looking for him had moved base to the city, and that he was going to be just fine, as long as none of them knew he was back in town. So, we believed him just because he had more experience than any of us could dream of. However, our instincts turned out to be spot on when just a few weeks after moving back to the town, my dad would be confronted by four men who warned him about the consequences of ignoring their requests but he brushed the event off as minor and told us that they were only looking for settlement, so we agreed to let it slide. While living in the town, the actions of the mob weren't exactly public knowledge, and we just grouped them together as mob activity, although due to the many mafia movies we saw growing up, I had my own suspicions, but once I got to the city it began to get clearer what the mob gangs did. They did everything from racketeering and extortion to money laundering and according to multiple reports from my new friends in the city, they were also majorly involved in the city's drug trade. The mob's dealings had successfully been kept under wraps in the town and I began to wonder if there was anything my dad had admitted from his stories because if he was one of them, then he would probably have been involved in some of these crimes in his younger days and it could have been the reason why they went after him even after he tried his best to dissociate himself from their dealings. My fears would be realized a few months after we moved when I got a call from one of our distant uncles that my dad had been abducted by some gang members. Even though I occasionally had thoughts of the possibility of another incident, I was still filled with shock and a sense of regret. I didn't know what to do next, but I decided not to hurry into making any decisions because I didn't know how powerful the mobs were and I didn't even know which gangs my dad had affiliations with. So I decided to get more information before proceeding. I reached back out to my uncle for some clarity and he explained to me how the mobs were structured. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Apparently, there were initially three main mob families from our hometown who had ties to some top government officials and protection from corrupt law enforcers. In the past, they used to war against each other for who could control the territory, our town, But decided that working together was the best way to extend their power base, so each family casted votes to decide who the general mob boss would be, then recruited interested members from other families in the town, split them up into gangs, and set up bases in nearby vicinities and especially cities, but those cities also had a presence of crime organizations of their own, and so feuds were usually common. According to my uncle, many of these feuds usually ended up in the boss of one of the gangs getting abducted until an agreement is reached, and sometimes were executed outright. I began to think about the chances of my dad getting executed, so I asked my uncle if he was one of the gang bosses, but he gave me the most polarizing answer. My dad wasn't a gang boss, but my grandfather was. I didn't know whether that was meant to be good or bad news because, on one hand, The chances of my dad getting executed was low and on the other hand he might have been targeted because of something my grandfather had done and there was every possibility that either me or my siblings could be next after a few days my dad was released and he called for a family meeting he told us that he was abducted as a warning by the main mob boss and told us he was a rival to his father our grandfather before he became boss According to my dad, my grandfather owed the mob boss a huge amount of money and didn't pay back, which led to him being attacked and shot in the incident that cost him one of his legs. And this was the reason he, my dad, decided against raising a family in the town. My dad also told us that the town wasn't safe for any of us because he was warned of a future attack if he was unable to raise the money and he found out that his mistress was actually a second cousin to the mob boss and was the one who leaked his information to him. I wasn't going to heed to his warnings because I wanted to show the mob boss why he shouldn't mess with my family, even after what he had done to my father and grandfather. But the only way I could do that was to get as close to him as possible, and I knew just how. I worked as a bartender at one of the biggest clubs in the city, and gang members of the mob usually frequented there. Before my dad was abducted, I tried my best not to engage with them outside serving them drinks, but now I began to make small talk with them and you'd be surprised at how much information people can reveal after a few shots of vodka. Over time, I began to make friends with a few of the mobsters, and they even started to suggest I join their gangs. And even though I declined at first due to the promises I made to myself, I realized there was no way I could get to the boss from the outside and so I decided to join arguably the most influential gang in my locality. I also got fake identification documents and changed my name, so they wouldn't be able to trace my family lineage. I didn't want them finding out I was related to my grandfather. My boss at the club didn't have mob ties, although he did pay for protection against external gangs, who might have been working for rival clubs, so when I explained to him that the name change was for my protection, he agreed not to interfere. Before I could join the gang, I had to undergo the initiation process which involved swearing a blood oath to be a lifelong member of the gang. Doing something like that was quite frightening but I had to do what I had to do because we were never going to be free as long as the mob boss had his powers. After joining, I used all I'd learned from my father and uncle as well as the information I usually got at the bar to rise up the ranks. I was also smart enough to not directly involve myself in any of the crimes usually playing the role of watchdog or intelligence rather than intimidation and assault. That way, people could never tie my face to any crime scene. After a few months and a few successful operations, I finally achieved a rank high enough to at least stand guard at the general mob meetings, where all three major mob families and high-ranking individuals came together to discuss the future of their organization. I used this opportunity to know some of the inner workings of their syndicate, how they were organized across cities, who did what and how the hierarchy operated. But I still hadn't won enough trust to be close to the private conversations that happened between the mob bosses and those who were usually where major hits were planned, including, as I thought, something like the abduction of my dad. So the next phase of the plan was to gain the trust of the bosses, and the only way I could do that was by proving myself in a general mob operation, and luckily for me, there was one on the horizon. Operation Delta was the codename for our general mob operation. These operations were held once annually and was a chance for lower-ranked gang members to take a step up the ladder of influence. The rules and targets were set by the mob bosses and the operations were planned months in advance. So all you had to do was to indicate willingness to partake. Even though I had fears of getting arrested or, even worse, shot at, I had made up my mind to join in as long as it gave me the chance to get closer to the inner circle. And so I signed up to act as a sort of watchdog for the operation. I was the one who checked around to see if we were being followed, or watched, and relayed clearance signals to the rest of the gang. The operation was successful and we were invited into the inner chambers of the building where we held our meetings for an assessment, and I made sure to impress. I impressed so much that I was promoted to the rank of lieutenant of one of the major gangs, which meant I now had access to some of the most classified meetings and that I could move on to the next phase of my plan. The next phase of my plan was to find a way to bring down the mob boss. To do this, I knew I had to strike a deal with law enforcement, but I had fears that I might meet officials whose pockets were being lined by the mob activities, so I had to be careful and did thorough background checks on all the officials suggested to me by some lawyers I was acquainted with from my old job. After weeks of searching, I was finally able to score a meeting with some officers working with the state police who had been trying to take down the mobs for years. Until then, they hadn't been able to get anyone close to the bosses to give them classified information and evidence they needed to take this syndicate down, but there I was, offering myself to them. They were skeptical at first, but after confirming my sincerity, decided we devise a plan to extract some evidence ahead of the next meeting, between the bosses, and they came to one conclusion. I was to wear a wire. They also agreed to put me in the witness protection program if anything went wrong, but I prayed that nothing would go wrong. There were some places where wearing a wire was a no-go, and classified mob meetings was one of them. I'd heard tales of exposed snitches having their tongues cut off and even worse things I can't say here, so I was really wary but at the same time, I was determined to see it through, because if he went down, then my family would finally be free. The day of the meeting between the bosses finally came and the guys from the state police set me up pretty good. The wires and recorders were so meticulously placed around my body that it felt almost anatomical. They wanted me to look natural so there was no bulletproof vest but they assured me that if they sensed any trouble they would swoop in from their van parked a few hundred meters away from the venue on getting to the venue i was pat down but the guy who stood guard was a pal of mine so he did it a bit too nonchalantly as i cracked a joke only he would find funny i got in and after a few formalities between the bosses and their close men the meeting and my recording got started I was hoping the meeting would provide information useful enough to take the mob boss down but what i got in recording was probably enough to take more than just the boss down because there were multiple confessions to abductions murders and extortions and even plans of future covert operations discussed at that meeting a few days after the meeting there were multiple raids from the state police on facilities run by the mob bosses using information gotten from my recordings and the mob boss was one of those arrested during the raids. Due to the evidence compiled against him, he was tried and charged for his numerous crimes and was given a life imprisonment sentence for all his efforts. In the aftermath of his arrest, suspicions began to grow within the mob camp about who may have ratted the boss, and the friction it caused meant people who were feeling disillusioned began to leave, and I used that window to take a back seat from all mob activity. My dad was also able to return to his house in our town. The mob structure in the city never fully recovered. I ratted out the mob boss who was a threat to my family and destabilized a crime syndicate while doing it. Revenge has never felt sweeter. I mean, respect to OP and the hustle and the things they went to in order to pull this all off? But man, I don't envy OP's position. I'd be checking over my shoulder every single day for the rest of my life. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That said, our next story is, I made my ex-husband and his mistress serve jail time. There's always some lesson to learn from a revenge story, and mine was to never abandon my life for a man. I don't care if there's a ring and maybe even a child involved. I'm not going to leave everything i've worked for my friends and family to go start over with a man i did that with my ex and i regretted it i hated the vengeful feeling i felt when i found out that he'd betrayed me and i knew that the only reason i felt that way was because i'd given up everything for him yeah i did get my revenge and it temporarily made me feel good but after it all i still felt crappy and unsatisfied with my life I married my ex-husband exactly a year after I met him, and I know some people may blame the haste for what happened, but I've met people who got married after 6 months of dating, and they remain married to this day. My ex-husband was simply a crappy husband. We met at the restaurant where I worked as a sous chef. The head chef was absent on that day, so I was in charge of preparing all the meals. My ex-husband, his friend, and his friend's wife came to dinner, and they thought my pasta was very delicious. It was so good that they spoke to a waitress about complimenting the chef in person. The waitress came to me that day and told me that three people were asking for me. I was worried at first. Perhaps my food didn't meet the standards they were used to in the restaurant. Do you know what this is about? I asked, eyeing the waitress suspiciously. Oh, they wanted to compliment you in person, she replied to me with an assuring smile. I was surprised that people still did that. I went with her and saw two men and a beautiful, lovely woman. ''You make the best pasta in the world!'' one of the men said and quickly added, ''And trust me, I've eaten from reputable restaurants all over the world!'' I beamed and thanked him. ''We enjoyed our meal!'' the woman added, smiling too. I thanked her and wondered why the other man wasn't saying anything. He didn't look like he was going to say something, so I asked him about the meaning just to be polite. ''Did you enjoy your meal, sir?'' ''Oh, sorry,'' he said and smiled. ''I was wondering how one person could be so talented and beautiful at the same time.'' ''That is so corny!'' the woman exclaimed and laughed. ''Please forgive our friend,'' she said apologetically. I thanked them and left just after they placed the order for their dessert. I was busy in the kitchen when the same waitress came to me. ''They want to see you... again?'' I was annoyed because I hated to take a break from the kitchen while cooking. I always wanted to pay attention to my cooking and make sure everything is perfect and smooth. Can I take this chef out to dinner sometime? The friend of the couple asked me. I smiled faintly and agreed. I just wanted to get out of there and back into the kitchen. We exchanged numbers, he promised a call, and I nearly ran back into the kitchen after. I was not looking to date anyone. but i figured i could always tell him that when he calls that was way better than telling him a flat no while his friends watched at the time i was still trying to recover from dating an emotional abuser for two years a year and some months had passed since i broke up with him but i still wasn't over the pain and shame that i experienced in that relationship i was in my apartment doing some cleaning later that weekend when my phone rang it was the man who had taken my number and asked me to go out with him After we exchanged pleasantries, he said he was calling to ask if I still wanted to go out. I was going to reject him and tell him that I'd just gotten out of a relationship, blah blah blah, but I remembered a question my sister asked the previous month when she offered to set me up with her husband's friend who was recently single. How are you going to find the one if you keep ignoring everyone? I changed my mind and accepted to go out with him, and I returned home the next evening, grateful that I didn't turn him down. We had dinner together at a restaurant close to where I worked. It was an intimate dinner with nice, cool music playing in the background. We didn't talk a lot in between our dinners, but after dinner we skipped dessert and took a walk together. It was lovely. We connected and realized that we grew up in the same town. His family left when he was 13, but my family still lived there. We talked about the popular people in the area, our friends, families, and goals. He worked for a leading private lending business in the city and majored in accounting in college, after which he went to a business school. I told him about my past relationship and he told me about his. He'd been with his high school sweetheart for a very long time and everyone was convinced that they'd get married, but she got a grant for a documentary outside of the country. She was supposed to be there for six months, but she met someone else, fell in love, and broke up with him. ''You must have been devastated,'' I said to him. I was, but if I'm going to be honest, I saw it coming. When she left, I just knew that was the end. I think she wanted something different. We were together for a very long time. I felt bad for him and even patted him on the back. It's ironic that nearly the same event played out between the two of us eventually. I thoroughly enjoyed myself that night. That date opened my eyes to new possibilities to being with other people and having a healthy relationship with someone who didn't try to tear me down, even on my first date. I remembered my first date with the guy I dated before him. We went to see a movie together and he looked me in the eyes and said, you're kind of pretty but I can't seem to get over your overbite. I felt very uncomfortable with his compliment, but I just smiled and I guess that encouraged him. He went on and on about how my overbite reminded him of a girl he hated back in high school. When he drove me home, he pointed out my teeth and said they were too tiny. Hey, how do you even chew with that? He asked and laughed. The person who introduced us had told me that he was a hilarious person, so I just waved it off. As him being funny, even though his jokes did not make any sense to me nor did it make me feel comfortable, my ex-husband was different. On our first date. He was attentive, sensitive and he showered me with compliments. The icing on the cake was how unafraid he was to share his past experience with his ex with me. I liked him instantly. That evening, I asked if he wanted to come in for a cup of coffee and he accepted my offer. Usually guys took that as an invitation to hook up, but he came in, I made him coffee and we talked some more before he left. When he called the next time to schedule a date, I told him that I wanted to take things slowly. I wasn't ready to rush into a relationship just yet. He agreed and we decided to hang out as two friendly people until we decided to take our relationship further. That worked for us. Before my ex and I started dating officially, we were friends for two months. We went out together to see movies and went to the park. He even let me invite him for a Sunday brunch at my church. Not once did he ask me to hook up with him. Once I asked him why he'd never even tried to hook up with me. He smiled and said if we did, it would be as two people in a committed relationship. I found that very cute. In fact, it was one of the reasons I called him one evening and told him that if he was ready to have a proper relationship with me, I was ready too. He was so excited he drove over to my house and gave me a big kiss. The first 6 months of our relationship were peaceful. We barely had any huge fights and even when we argued, we handled it well and it strengthened our relationship. After the sixth month, my apartment kept having issues and my landlord was not as responsive as I wanted. The major issue I had with the apartment was the water. For some reason, the water stopped getting into my apartment and I was sick of it. I called the landlord on three different occasions and he promised to send in a handyman, but he never did. I couldn't handle the lack of water, so I went to my ex's house and started doing most of my stuff there. I used his bathroom there and did my laundry and his apartment's laundromat. I was there all the time and it was almost as if I lived there. Since my landlord was being a jerk and I didn't have the time nor money to take any kind of legal action against him, I started looking for a new place to live. My ex and I would go and check out houses together and they were usually either too small or too expensive. Why don't you move in with me? He asked one day on our drive back from inspecting an apartment. What? Come on. I said. Nah, that's just too soon. He rolled his eyes, ''Come on, you already live with me anyway. You're always in the house, so you may as well move in.'' I said, ''I don't think I can.'' He said, ''I think you can. Think about it. I have a nice kitchen. You love my kitchen. I have an extra bedroom and my dog loves you.'' I laughed. ''I love his dog too.'' I moved in with him and aside from the usual argument about leaving his socks on the floor, we had no issues. We were good. After nearly a year of being together, he asked me to marry him and I agreed. We hadn't even set a wedding date when he got a promotion at work but it came with a caveat he had to move to a different state to head a new branch office there we were devastated i knew for a fact that the head chef at my restaurant was retiring soon and i was certain that i'd be the new head chef i'd looked forward to that opportunity for a long time and i couldn't let it go my ex on the other hand was insecure about us having a long distance relationship because of what had happened with his ex-girlfriend I'm just not comfortable with us being apart. If we're going to be apart, then it's better to end it. I'm going to be honest and admit that I could not imagine a world without a minute. I was in love with him and I was willing to give up my job, my friends who lived in the city and my parents who lived just in the suburbs not far from the city. If I moved across the country with my ex, it would become a lot harder to be around my loved ones. But I didn't care. He was the man I was going to marry and spend the rest of my life with, so I chose him. We hurriedly had a small wedding with friends and family in attendance. Nothing fancy at all. We moved out of state together and that marked the start of problems between my ex and me. First he started having issues at work, especially with a supervisor he called the devil. He was the branch manager but she came in often to check to see how the branch is doing and report back to the head office. She hates me, he would complain to me. I don't know what exactly I did, but it's clear that she wants to see me fail. I don't understand why. My ex would return from work and complain about how she was bothering him at work, how she paid more attention to his branch than other branches, and how she was trying to sabotage him. At some point, it got irritating because my ex only wanted to talk about his problems. He never cared to hear about my problems, especially since I was struggling very hard to get a job as a chef in our new state. That was when I first realized that my ex was very selfish. You never want to talk about me, I complained one day. I'd like to talk about the stuff that I have going on too, you know. I don't believe I've ever shut you up when you try to talk to me about your issues, he replied. It's just that you don't even ask, I stammered. He smiled curtly and his smile dissolved quickly into a frown. You can't blame me for not listening to you when you're not even talking to me, you know. He walked away and completely shut off from me after that. He actively avoided me in our home, and when I tried to talk to him about what had happened, he'd wear a wry, sometimes polite smile and just nod his head at whatever I was saying. It was unfair to me and I felt so lonely in your marriage that I started to contemplate having a baby just so that I could have something to do. Never mind the fact that it was I who suggested that we wait for two full years before starting a family. As if the emotional neglect was not enough, my ex would go on business trips and leave me all by myself. On the day I caught my husband, I wasn't looking to snoop or catch him in the act. I was just bored and tired of sitting around in the house and doing chores. He was out that afternoon, it was a Saturday, having brunch with his coworkers. I sat on the chair that he usually worked on and turned on his computer My ex's computer was synced with his phone, so I could access most stuff on it, like his emails and instant messaging applications. I didn't stop at just checking to see what new video he was watching. I checked his emails, and then I started to read his messages too. His conversation with one person caught my attention. It was his conversation with his boss, the lady supervisor he claimed to hate. I scrolled up to the top of their conversation and read their messages to each other. She started off by telling him that they didn't have to be enemies and that with her help, they could make a lot of money. Then she asked him to meet her for lunch. My ex didn't tell me this at the time, which was strange because he told me everything. Well, until he started being distant, which I guess was when they started dating. I went on to read their messages and found out that they both had been misappropriating the company's funds. They were using the company's money for personal stuff and actively discussing new ways to cut corners and steal from the company. That shocked me. I was horrified that my ex would be involved in something criminal. But the biggest shock was finding out that the two of them were sleeping together and that all of those work trips he went on were to be with her. I did not see that coming at all. I almost slammed his computer in anger. I was frustrated, sad, feeling betrayed and angry at the same time. I gave up my life where I lived to travel with him. He'd always talked about how much he hated her, but he was clearly compensating for how he truly felt about her. I called my mom immediately and told her about my findings. My mom consumes a lot of real crime shows, so she was worried that I wouldn't be able to hold in my feelings and that I'd confront him and he'd end me. She bought my plane ticket for the next day and had me tell my ex that I had to go home because she was ill. I got away with the deep sadness I felt because he figured I was upset because of my mom. I returned home the next day and went to my ex's head office with my best friend. I reported my findings and they assured me that they'd carry out their investigations privately. All this while, I ghosted my ex-husband and would not even receive his calls. I don't know if he got tired of reaching out or maybe he was secretly glad that I left, but he soon stopped calling. Not long after, I was sent an email informing me that the private investigations that the company carried out showed that my ex and his supervisor had indeed been misappropriating the company's funds. The company promptly sued them and even gave me the hearing date. I didn't go, of course. I may have hated him for what he did, but he was still my husband and we had some real good times. The two lovers eventually did time for some months, and I felt good about my revenge at first. But there were times that I felt crappy about myself for doing that to him. Hey, I don't think OP did anything wrong, and especially at a moment where you're in pure heartbreak, you definitely can't blame OP for not only doing something that isn't wrong to do, but has some level of genuine revenge to it. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today.